0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is David Miracatani with another episode of Matt Chat. Today I am joined by a coach who has won Coach of the Year in his state, has coached multiple national teams, and has been a referee for the last 15 years at the NCAA Division One National Tournament, and probably most importantly, along with my father, has found the fountain of youth. Mr. Mike Haggerty, Coach, how are you doing today?
1: you good, David. How are you doing, buddy?
0: I'm good. For the for people that don't know, we have a, a long, long relationship. I think you actually sat in my corner back when Fargo wasn't Fargo and was in you and I back in like, gosh, 1984 or a long time ago. So, really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Yeah, I think I was probably 15 or 16 when I sat in your corner that year.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was a freshman and you were a junior, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> So, well, there's been a lot of talk about every year after the Nationals about refereeing and calls and things like that. And, you know, I I, I bumped into you a couple of weeks ago at Tulsa and uh, talked about having you on and really just kind of want to try to get some clarification on some things. And I think there's a lot of us that think that we understand wrestling at certain levels, myself included, and maybe I, I don't have things right. So really wanted to talk to somebody like you that knows knows the rule book, knows the handbook, and try to give some clarification to our listeners. So if that's okay, I'm just gonna dig right into some things. Absolutely, Dave. Okay, so the first question I have is if I'm a coach and I come over to challenge whatever call I challenge, can you only review what I challenge or can you find something else? while you're looking at the video and i'll give an example if i think my guy had a takedown and you didn't call it and you go look at it and along the way you see one guy or the other grab the singlet or something else like that pull hair grab one finger can you make that call or can you only review whether or not there was a takedown or not
1: well that's a great question to start with um but yeah you're absolutely right i think a lot of people are under the impression that into the review we can look at multitude of issues, uh, and we can't. We only have the ability to look at what has been given to us by the coach, and that's why you have to ask the coach. At that time, he makes the challenge. We have to ask him, and sometimes people think that we're being redundant or that the coach we're we're, we're aggravating the coach in some way. But <laughs> we have to ask the coach to give us specifically what he is challenging. So that when we look at it, you know what to look for, because there is that possibility that there could be several things. We go back and look at something to see that um, that something would be different than what we had seen before. But we can only look at what's been challenged.
0: OK, so and you can see why from, you know, the the spectators point of view. If you're going to use Replay, it seems like you should be able to use Replay to look at everything, right? I mean, from a logical point of view, you can see why people think that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the other thing, the thing to remember, David, is we're talking about a lot of this will probably come down to video review questions as, as I looked at the, some of the questions you sent. But I believe in my heart that, you know, we're going to evolve. Uh, this is in its infancy. We haven't had video review that long. And, yes, there are some concerns, there are some issues, and I suspect that over time we're going to see an evolution. Uh, but we're just limited right now with what we're given.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I don't think anybody out there, unless people are like out on the fringe, think referees are trying to get the call wrong or trying to, you know, help school A versus school B. I, I think, you know, a lot of folks watch the Nationals, and didn't, just using that tournament, but any tournament – Through the color, you know, through the colored glasses of who they root for. And so, you know, you go, well, you know, that other guy was stalling. Well, he was stalling because he was wearing the other singlet, not your singlet. So, you know, and I know you're a coach and, you know, you, you, you know, you wear two different hats. So I know you understand that, but one of the other questions that a lot of guys I talk to who I think are smart really want to understand is, and it's kind of twofold. Number one, why, why is the review so secretive? You know, like it's like, you know, you guys are huddled around the screen. Like, why wouldn't they put it on the big screen or something like that? And two, why isn't there a third party reviewing the call? Because it's almost like taking a case to court and you get found guilty and you appeal and you go back to the same judge and the same jury. It seems very unlikely you're going to get, you know, a different viewpoint of things.
1: Uh, absolutely. Uh, and again, another good question. I would suggest that, first of all, uh, there's an illusion that calls don't get changed. Uh, they get changed 50% of the time? No. And I think that you have to ask yourself, why aren't they getting changed? One, uh, I can tell you that it's about 20% of the time at the NCAA championship over the course of the last three years, calls have been changed. I've had multiple conversations with Tim Shields about the exact numbers, but, and it fluctuates. I think this year it's going to be up a little bit from where it was last year. Um, but when you think about if it's 20%, I'm going to suggest that at least probably a quarter of the challenges that come from coaches are desperation challenges. They're challenges that they make at the end of a period uh, when they probably know the, the the result is going to be pretty clear, right. but maybe they have some challenges left, so there are a lot of those challenges that take place, especially in the latter stages of the tournament. So there's, there's a quarter of them. So if you eliminate those, uh, now you're only talking 20% of the 50 that's, that are the 75% of those calls that are left over. Uh, and, and with that said, I think that hopefully that most of the calls that the officials are making are the correct calls. And, again, uh, we have three choices to make when we go back and look at those calls. One, we we either confirm the call. uh, Two, we look at it and find out there's no clear evidence to overturn the call based on the video. Now, understand that we're seeing. And in most situations, we're only seeing one angle. And now in the finals of the NCAA championships, we get the benefit of having uh, multiple angles, which is very unusual. So we we don't have enough video evidence or we do, in fact, overturn the call. So those are our three choices. And so consequently, uh, I think a lot of times there's just not enough there to overturn it because we don't see an angle that's going to help us that much. Uh, So I I think that the illusion is is that they're not overturned often enough, uh, and I can certainly understand that because you're going to see probably 50% of the people that would see it one way and 50% seeing it another way. Uh, you kind of had a two-part question, if I heard that right. I also think that you're asking about the secrecy and right. and well, yeah. Yeah, just two people getting an opportunity to see it. Well, first of all, understand those two people want to get it right. They also know that there's a lot of people that are watching the video after the matches are over. There's no official that wants to go back and 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 stand behind a call if they don't feel like it's the right call. Uh, with that said. I also think there's that possibility that down the road there will be, uh, uh, you know, maybe a third person that looks at them, especially in the major championships. Uh, But right now, we don't even have a second official in the Big 12 most of the time. Uh, You know, it's it's rare that we get a second official in the Big 12. The Big 10 is a second official. The Keys is a second official. Most of the larger conferences do. But uh, there's a cost that's involved. If we're going to support. Uh, Two officials, are we going to go to the third official that's going to be used just in video review? How is that going to work out? So I I don't think any of our officials are opposed to that. I think a lot of people think, well, the official somehow boycotted and and held people captive in this regard, and we we would love to have additional help. I just don't think that it's going to be practical in most situations. It might be that that changes uh, with time as people review becomes more advanced, more sophisticated, more angles, et cetera. But right now, that's kind of, again, what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. And it's not the NFL, and it's not college football. It's not a multi-multi-million-dollar industry. So, you know, the logistics of that makes sense. You, you mentioned the secondary referee and how, you know, certain conferences provide them and certain conferences don't. And I think, if I remember correctly, I saw you on the Pac-12s when I was watching that broadcast. So... I know you go all over the country. What is the job description? Not like what we think it is, um, but what's in the handbook or rule book, or what is, you know, Mike Allen and Tim Shields? What is the job description of the secondary referee? Well,
1: it's interesting. I think that the second official uh, is gaining popularity, and I think that the second or outside official is also going to be gaining more latitude. Uh, By rule book, they have the same mobility, Um, and if they see something in the match that they feel that needs to be addressed, it's usually uh, the the protocol would be for them to approach the inside official whenever that opportunity can can take place without disrupting the flow of match. So that's a little bit of an awkward situation of men to actually present themselves to, to, to say something to the inside official uh, generally speaking, you're not going outside official with his hands and soft match things like that. It's going to be the opportunity of uh, downtime or something that's where they can step forward and address the inside official. Uh, you know, Certainly, if it's something that happened on a takedown, uh, they would want to get to the inside official and, and make that apparent to them, make it known that they have an issue with that. So whether it was, you know, writing time or those other issues taking place, especially in college wrestling, uh, need to be addressed and and taken care of quickly. But there is there are some limitations with that as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, I think the perception and I think some of it's true is that a lot of the referees are friends. Nobody really wants to show the other guy up, so you know if I'm the primary rep and you're the secondary or inside or outside, whatever the right technical term is, um if you see me blow one, you know we're we're probably going to go have dinner afterwards. You may not want to you know put that out there so from I think that's the fan's point of view from the official's point of view, how would you address you know that opinion or concern?
1: Well, again, I, I, I don't doubt that there is an opinion out there, but from the official's perspective, if I had missed the call, I mean, I would want my outside officials to approach and we, we want to get that call right, uh, especially if they saw something different than what I saw. I, I want them to address that, and I think your better officials do. Uh, maybe there is um, a little bit of that out there, I don't know. Um, If it is, it's unfortunate, because truthfully, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with some great outside officials, and I've had the opportunity to work with some great inside officials being on the outside, and I think there's definitely uh, probably room for more dialogue, and as Tim Shields, our National Coordinator of Officials, has pressed over the course of these last couple of years since he's taken the job, he wants us to have that communication. And... The the difficult part of it is when does that communication occur uh, more than it is that there's probably something that needs to be said. It's just when is it to be said. And and rather than wait and let that thing die, and then it becomes more of a mood mood issue as as the match progresses.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it is, you know, I, I think like. Working the Nationals is kind of like, you know, getting a job as a head coach in high school or college or whatever your goal is. Like, once you get there, your goal is to stay there and and continue to be able to do that job. And so I think I know a lot of people that think like, OK, these guys, nobody wants to step on anybody's toes. Um, But I also understand your point. Like, look, you know, we want to get the calls right. And that's more important to us, you know, than than anything else. So, um One of the things that I think is really, really difficult to call is leg riding. And so I want to make sure, I mean, I coach for a long time, but I want to make sure I understand the rules right. And then if I do, I want to ask you about a couple situations. So first of all, if you're riding on top of me and you put the legs in and I stand up, if they're stalling called, it's called on the bottom, man. Is that Correct.
1: If the legs are inherently in, you're saying, yes, yes. Uh, by rule, if the the top man has the legs in and the bottom guy comes up from that position, the the rules as they are today, as we speak, are that the, the stalling call would be against the bottom man.
0: Okay. And conversely, if I stand up and you jump up in the saddle and throw both boots in on me, if there's a stalling call, the stalling call is supposed to be on the top, man. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So question number one is, if you got the legs in on me, what am I supposed to do besides stand up?
1: Um, okay, great. <laughs> Here's where it gets really uh, kind of dicey. Because the truth of the matter is uh, sometimes we are asked to enforce rules that personally we don't totally understand ourselves. Uh, and and I'm speculating, but I, I see some changes down the road with this particular rule, uh, either in its interpretation or maybe the rule itself. It's been a rule that's been frustrating for officials. It's been frustrating for coaches because it, it makes about as much sense, if you really break it down, David, if a guy has legs in, you're taking away the bottom man's offense. You're basically saying that 85, 90 percent of what that kid's been taught over the course of the last 20 years of his life, maybe, yeah, we're pulling, exactly, we're pulling the hood from him. So, you know, like I said, sometimes we we that we're we're given a set of rules that we have to enforce and that we're supposed to call, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we totally understand it or that um, you know it's our personal philosophy. So, the, the bottom line is, is that I think that. That is a very, very tough rule right now for most officials because it is a difficult thing to see a guy work to get up from the bottom and now you throw the legs in and he no longer can generate 90% of his offense he's been uh, You're asking him to do something else. I don't know. It, it depends upon you know, the, maybe the skill set or uh, what other secondary – moves that he has he can actually uh, demonstrate in, uh, in the match so you kind of got me in a tough, state, tough place on that one
0: no no I, and i'm asking and, and coaching you're you're coming in a little choppy if there's a spot where maybe the reception's a little better that would be great um so you know when we coach guys and legs we said number one don't let them in two get out of bounds everything else we're going to show you is going to be three four and five so you know when the guy puts the legs in on top, I guess what i I think fancy is okay i I understand the rule correctly and how it's supposed to be. I think you're being kind when you say you don't understand the rule. I think it is you you coach and you you're still in really good shape, I know you still wrestle with your guys. You're like that's a ridiculous rule. you just don't agree with it, and you know that the guy on bottom when he's standing up isn't stalling, he's trying to get out, so I guess this leads right into one of the questions I had written down I wanted to ask you. If you could change a rule or two, what would you like to see changed?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a fair question. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to offer too much, uh, you know, personal opinion about the rules and things. But uh, I, I would definitely say that's one rule that I would like to see changed. I, w- I think most officials would agree that that's a difficult rule to interpret. Um, and then you have that borderline when the legs are actually coming in. Is he three-quarters of the way up? Is he in a quad pod? Is he in a tripod? Uh, there's all kinds of, you know, ifs, ands, and buts with that one. So I think it's a rule that really needs to, you know, be looked at as we move forward. Uh, we've limited, you know, a lot of things on the mat over the years. You know, we've kind of uh, tried to narrow the scope with the, the count when a guy drops down from the top. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty cautious sometimes about arm bars coming off the back, things like that. So we've kind of limited the top man. Well, this is one for the bottom man. You know, this is one of those that the bottom man is a bit limited because when those legs go in, it's kind of like sacred ground that he can't come up. And uh, I'm not real sure what else he's supposed to do there. So and again, I'm not I'm not advocating that that, you know, that that's that it completely changes to the point where, uh, if, if he does come up, that he's not responsible to try to wrestle from there. I'm just saying that in the process, that changing a guy's total strategy because he's more, he's a stand-up guy that he no longer can come up once those boots are in kind of uh, makes it difficult. So I'd say that's one of the rules I'd like to see tweaked a bit.
0: Yeah, that, I think that makes sense, especially with the with the level of uh, explanation you've given given me here. So another one of the the rules that I think are difficult for people, maybe not to understand it, but, you know, to see how it's interpreted is, and I I don't even know if I'm calling it the right thing, but the five-second drop-down rule, you know, where if you're right, first of all, is that the right term for it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I I get one right, coach. So You got it. You got it. And from an F to a D, I'm going to work my way up. So um, so how is the rule actually worded there?
1: Well, pretty much the wording is, is that if the uh, top man drops down below the buttocks and in, in cases one or both legs, um, with, with his, with his arms, um, he, he, there's supposed to be a count. So it, the, the exception being, and and I know that this, this is the one exception that kind of creates issue because. Uh, it, it has a lot to do with where the, the other arm is. If a guy drops down to an ankle or drops to a leg, and the other arm is over the top of the shoulder, like in a drape cradle situation, if, if you follow where I'm going yeah, with that, I I that's there. There is no count there, and I'm not really feel I'm not real positive of why the committee, when this came to fruition, why they kind of isolated that one particular situation, where if the, if the guy's over the shoulder and kind of like working for a cradle but has has uh picked the near side ankle or has encapsulated the far side leg why they kind of like said this is the one exception um but everything else if uh the, the near arm is under uh, underneath the body like in a, a near waist ride right, and an ankle or something like that there should be a count that would start uh and there there is one other um uh, exception to that And that exception being that I know, and this is, but this this is generated from the defensive side of it. I'm I'm speaking so far just from the offensive side. Um, If the defensive man initiates action, that like in a switch situation where it forces the top guy to go to the leg in order to to react to the counter to that that switch, then there is no count there. But if action is initiated from the bottom man that changes the game. And so I think a lot of people are just under the assumption that any time a guy drops to the leg, that there should be a count. But that's not that's not necessarily the case.
0: Okay. I got a couple. Thank you, first of all. I got a couple questions or points. First of all, I see it's so inconsistent. So tight waist and an ankle is supposed to be a count. Is that correct, Coach? That's correct. Okay. Why do some guys start counting right away, and some guys take their own sweet time to start counting that?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, there should be some consistency in that. That a near waist and an ankle, uh, you know, maybe um, a second for the guy to make that attempt to break him down, but immediately after that, there should be a count. There, there really shouldn't be a ton of inconsistency with that. And maybe it's just an awareness. You know, it's one of those things that in the flow of wrestling that it's not observed at that point. And so then the guy, you know, maybe the outside official says something, maybe he comes to the official comes to kind of their senses and sees it a second or two late. And then the count begins. But, um, you know, and I'll be honest, I've, I've started that count late myself. Before. I mean, I so me I try ahead. to stay, I, I'm sure I have. I mean, it's like
0: no, that's one right. of those
1: things that you, you don't want to get caught up in and and the flow of the match, but all of a sudden you see, oh, that guy just dropped down to an ankle. I better get my count started. Um, I actually had a count, uh, at least one, I remember, um, uh, in the semifinals, um, of the national championships this year and with Gilman and Gilman was, was able to at the last second try to kick up, but I'd already reached my five count. But it, had I not started it when I, when I think I did, I went back and watched it at the right time. That you know, it would have it would have been a no count a no stall called in.
0: Okay. So, so there
1: is so a, lot, a lot of these guys understand that too. They know they can hear the verbal count yeah. and they can sometimes bait that a little bit.
0: So I, everybody understands there's human error. Nobody bats a thousand. But let's say I drop to a leg and you're refereeing, and like two three seconds in, you realize like, oh my god, I should have been counting two or three seconds ago. Are you allowed to start at two or three, or do you just have to have miss those two or three seconds and start at one?
1: Yeah, I think you're going to have to miss those two or three and start where you're at because okay. you can't, you can't call something as an official if you either haven't seen it. Uh, now what could I mean, happen? You saw
0: it and just missed it though, coach, right? Like you're saying, you saw it and just realized I started my count late. So,
1: well, I think, and that, that's a good question. Um, I think maybe logistically what you might want to do, you know, the protocol on that would be count and then, uh, you could, as an official, I can always take the review myself, and I might go back and, and offer that as a review, uh, rather than ah, guess. i okay. I mean, I would never, I would never guess, well, I think I missed two seconds or I missed three or four seconds. I think what I would do is I would go with what I had. Um, and you, you got me thinking on the spot, you know, as you, as you mentioned that I think the proper mechanics there would be make the call as you see it, but then you have the option as an official to review any of your, any of the match at any given time, it might be the time to take that review.
0: No, that makes sense because you're trying to get to the right call. And it also makes sense that you can't start the count in the middle because it changes the strategy. And since the count is verbal, you know, I'm going to drop down there, drop to three, maybe four, four and a half, and then jump up. So, you know, yeah. you can't just start, hey, three, four, five, you know, so I get that. But you can see if you know you, you missed just human error, two or three seconds, you can go an officials review, and I think that's that's cool to know. So,
1: and it kind of as a as a uh, spinoff of what you said too, David, and, and, and what we were talking about here, um, the official does have the prerogative, uh, by by rule, to be able to if they feel like the um, the top man is gaming that rule, in such that you know he's done this a couple of times, like you get to two or three, and then you they jump back up. And then they they drop back down a couple more times. If that is actually taking place, and and you feel as an official that the top wrestler is gaming you, you have the option to hit them for stalling without ever getting yeah, to the five count.
0: Because they are stalling, you know. What I mean, they're
1: right. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's a tr- it's a stall in a more traditional sense.
0: Sure. Okay. So we're talking about this stuff on top, and that leads to another question. How does riding time impact stalling on top? Because I remember one time one of our guys got hit in a match, and I went over to the ref, and I said, you know, we're trying to score. score." He He's no, you're not. I'm like, we're trying to get riding time. That's a point. I said, you know, so it seems to me like, you know, we should get some leeway here until we're at least at a minute one and probably a little more time than that since we're probably going to pick down next period. As a referee, do you think about that at all, that that's a point? Is it not a consideration you know what's the mindset there
1: uh, you know this is the whole <laughs> this is something for people well above my pay grade to uh to ultimately decide someday. uh This has been talked about for years and years and years, and you know nobody can really come come to the conclusion of what we need to do in that philosophy if if we reward a guy with a point and you know for writing and staying on top of a guy. It's difficult to think that we're we're going to call him for stalling for doing the same thing. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. It's a
0: difficult
1: difficult paradigm to to justify. Uh, But the truth of the matter is is that I think the way that most officials call it is that they are uh, really non-aware of the time factor, not looking at does he have 30 seconds of writing time, 40 seconds of writing time? Does he have his minute one writing time? I think more so, most officials look at it as though, are they aggressively pursuing advancing the position? Um, and that's what I've always told myself when I'm out there. I want to see the top guy advancing position. If he has an arm bar, is he working for uh, something to, to put the guy on the back? If he's got legs in, is he trying to turn with the leg? Um, if he's If he doesn't have something, is he at least trying to break him down from, you know, the top-bottom position. Is he trying to advance the position? And if somebody's trying to advance the position, it's almost impossible to call them for stalling on top, in my opinion.
0: What about these guys uh, because- that just claw ride to death? And, you know, they, you know they're good at claw riding. You, yep. They're good at mat returns. They're good at lifting. You know, but you know you've wrestled, Coach. You've coached high-level guys. You know they're not trying to turn them. I mean, you know they're not trying to turn them. You know, and they're not really advancing the position. They're just grinding on that guy. But those guys hardly ever get hit for stalling. So, you know, what is the thought process there?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. As as wrestling rules change or the interpretations change, you find great coaches and great wrestlers find ways to wrestle to the corners of those rules. (laughs) And right now, you know, maybe – Fifteen or twenty years ago, you didn't see a claw ride very often. But as we became a little tougher on the top guy with certain rule interpretations, taking the arm off the back and this and that, uh, and we've limited him. Let's let's face it, the top man's a bit limited. Uh, you've seen the claw ride become much more a part of the game, uh, and so consequently, uh, more guys go to it. Uh, my again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. If they're just hitting the claw right and hanging on, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I would immediately jump to that and hit a stall call within, you know, the first five or six seconds I saw it. But if I feel like they're not trying to take that somewhere and either throw boots in to turn them, you know, with a turf with that or they're, um, maybe a lift and a return to the back from there or making some advancement, I think definitely that the, the referee is justified in hitting a stall call. It's just that it's one of those right now that you don't see as often, uh, maybe because the other part of that is usually with the claw, they're out to the side. And that's another thing that, you know, a lot of people kind of use that as a gauge. If the guy's out to the side, he's working. And <laughs> I think most coaches that coach good top wrestling, they teach their kids. They know that if they stay back on their hips and if they're, if they're not leaving the hits, even if they're they're tilt guys, they're going to probably get hit at some point. Right. Uh, with a claw ride, at least they're out to the side. Uh, it's amazing to me that some guys, you know, you're a coach, I've coached that there's a lot of good wrestlers that seem to just kind of freeze up on the bottom too when guys put a claw ride in. Like they, they don't change it over to the other side. They don't make the adjustments that they need to make. Right. No so it's kind of a there's. Right. A, yeah. yeah, there's a duplicity there that both guys are responsible.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. So um, I want to make sure I understand the edge of the mat on going out of bounds and neutral. My understanding is that, you know, you and I are wrestling. We go out of bounds. The referee can make three calls. He can call action He or he can call stalling on either guy. And it doesn't necessarily mean stalling on the guy that went out. It could be that person A literally pushed person B out and prevented them from wrestling. Is that, is that? But that also, you guys are being encouraged to call more stalling on the edge, so the guys stay on the mat and wrestle. Do I understand the the rule correctly? Yes, you
1: do. Matter of fact, you could put stripes on, knowing that, man. No, That's, I don't, you I don't hit want it.
0: that job. I do not want that job. You hit, you hit it right, man. I'm gonna keep my earbuds in and talk to guys like you. It's a lot easier. <laughs> so, what is? You know, when you're looking at that, what specific things are you looking for? Because I've known you a long time. I know you want the guy who's the better wrestler to win. I know you don't want to decide the match. So how are you know what is what what is going through your you know your brain and in your eyes when you're like, all right, what what do these guys have to do for me to to make a call here? Uh,
1: okay, L- let me say this first to kind of lead up to my answer to that. Um the first thing I would do I would tell you is that um this is kudos to all the coaches uh at all levels in AI Junior College Division 2 Division 3 Division 1 kudos to the athletes kudos to the coaches because they've gotten it right they figured it out in in the last year and a half when this rule first came in it was pretty much all over the place officials were struggling a bit with it coaches were struggling with it uh et cetera. But right now, I think that it has been a, a, a tremendous advantage uh, to our sport because we're, duels are probably an average of a half hour, maybe more shorter than they were just three or four years ago. Uh, it, it creates a lot of action. The, the rule has really changed college wrestling to keep guys on the mat. Uh, are, there, are there misinterpretations at times? Absolutely. But it's like in my pre-match address with most of my teams for duels, Mm -hmm. I almost always say, guys, here's the rule, just like you stated it. There's going to be one of three things happen. Either it's going to be an action call, it's going to be a push-out, or it's going to be a a stepping-out, backing-out call. And you know what? There's a chance I might get it wrong. So we need to stay on the mat. And I think that that's what coaches right now and and athletes are doing. They're they're fighting to stay on the mat. Uh, And it's changing college wrestling. The other part of that is I think that you asked for my kind of an interpretation of how I see it. Correct. I think most of the time it's it's going to end up being an action call because guys are shooting guys out at the last second. Guys have the right to defend the leg attack. They have a, They have the right to sprawl. They have a right to do everything that they would do in the center of the mat. What they can't do is intentionally back out at any point under duress in order to avoid wrestling and i think that that's where you would get the back out call if you feel like the guy was just using it as leverage to get out of bounds the about the only time that i would see a push out is when it's obvious the guy's fighting to stay in bounds the guy the defensive wrestler is on the line and he's trying to circle to get in bounds the top guy is not aligned to circle either side uh, if i if i circle right and you circle left it's all good uh, if I circle left and, circle and, the, and my opponent circles the same way into that action and, and drives him out, there's cause to believe that it might be a push out there. Another time that you could see a push out would be any time that the guy is extending his arms. If a guy is extending arms, it's kind of like freestyle. That's a very clear interpretation in my mind that he's just trying to push him out without trying to score because you're not going to shoot a shot with arms extended straight ahead of your body anyway. So that pretty well dictates that. But my my idea there is you're going to see most of those calls, either action calls because guys are, have been fighting to stay inbounds, even in the defensive mode, or you're going to get a guy backing out. It's rare. I don't think I had more than probably three or four calls this year where a guy was intentionally pushing his opponent out of bounds and, and got that call.
0: But And that's really how it should be, right, Coach, that you know if I fought for the center of the mat, you know, 99 percent of the time I fought for the center of the mat because I'm being the aggressor, not because I'm trying to get a stall call. So, I mean, I think
1: one 100 percent. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing to remember, too, David, is that that action on the edge probably started. You know, you can interpret that as most officials do. I think uh, they'll see where that action is coming from. If it's coming 10 feet in, they didn't just all of a sudden go out of bounds. And as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a protection clause kind of built into this rule where if there's a stand-up, let's say, on the edge of the mat, yeah. and the guy fights to stay inbounds, turns, and then all of a sudden the guy you know, sort of lunges into him or even takes a shot there, that guy's not going to get hit with passivity of leaving the mat there because he's entitled to that turf. When he stands up, he, he, he just created that action. Maybe he's right on the edge when that took place. There should be no stall call made
0: there you're right. That's an evolution, Coach, because a couple of years ago when they had the outdoor duel at Carver Hawkeye, Iowa got about four stalling calls against Oklahoma State in various matches on that exact situation. So, you know, that's either been a rule interpretation or, like you said, the coaches and the athletes are wrestling smarter to not not give that those points up or calls up and not put you guys in a position to have to, to blow the whistle on that.
1: So Yeah, and I, I think guys are getting better at learning how to battle on the edge, you know, uh not standing straight up. That that seems to be a big mistake when I first saw the rule come in and you know, having a freestyle background for myself, you know, that's a terrible error on the edge of the mat to stand up. It's bad enough to stand up in the middle, but stand up on the edge, uh <laughs> you you've given you've given some big points away there. And so first, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I won't go. But anyway, you get where I'm coming from. So I think the strategies, the tactics that these athletes and coaches have implemented over the years has really helped the officials. So we're not put in those positions where we have to make those interpretations either.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, I want to jump gears, talk to you a little bit about scrambling. So, or north, south, passovers, whatever the right terminology and you know, that we want to use is. And I think I'm going to just give you my observations and then the floor is yours. I think a lot of times, you know, like one guy will initiate three or four shots and the other guy will, will pass over and wrestle. And I think sometimes the referees forget one guy took three or four shots. The other guy's not initiating anything. And then the other thing is, it'll be like, you know, you hit a great shot. I put, You know, pull a foot over my head and I'm just got barely enough to not, to not give up control. It seems to me like there should be some sort of rule change that says, okay, look, you know, if you can hold me there, maybe 10 seconds on my back that, okay, that's a takedown. And now we're counting back points. So these guys can't just flop around back and forth. So I got a couple questions and I'll shut up and let you talk. One. how do you interpret the rules as they are now? And two, if you could change any rules in scrambling, what would, how would you change
1: them? Uh, David, that, that, that's a deep issue right now. Um, and I, I think, honestly, that this is going to be addressed at the, uh, the Rules Committee meeting as well. Um, I can tell you from, you know, the, the philosophy of freestyle versus folk style, and folk style – we're forced, uh, we can't throw any points until control given. And so control with this with the new scramble wrestling and, you know, jiu-jitsu style of wrestling that's, that's kind of taken over the last several years, uh, we still have to have control before we can start giving back points. Uh, that's plain and simple. Freestyle is built on the, on the concept of exposure, not right. on control. Um, it would be nice if there was kind of a middle ground here that we could look at that, and I, and I kind of agree with what you said, that if a guy is posted in a position and he can't advance it, uh, does that demonstrate enough for control? I actually, I'll tell you the truth, I had a call like that at the uh, national tournament this past weekend, and it was in one of the earlier rounds, and I can't remember exactly who it was. It doesn't really matter. But it was one of those where there was a pass one way, a pass back across, and then the guy got froze there, And, you know, I don't know if his expectations were that it would end up being a stalemate or what. (laughs) Even though the leg was passed over, the kid did the right thing, and he kind of sat on the pass. And so the kid was trapped there. So I not only threw the two, but then I started my count and ended up getting two back points, and then it cleaned up. The kid kind of came back through it and fought his way through it. But uh, You know, and I talked to Tim Shields afterwards, and Tim happened to be on that side of that. And he said, absolutely, you know, it was it was the right call. But, again, you know, there's people that probably saw that and said, you know what, I don't know that that was controlled because the leg was across the guy's hand, And at any time, he could have continued to roll through, which he could have. And I think that we've got to be kind of judge and juror in that situation. We've got to make a call that this guy is not going to get back through that position and we're going to go ahead and unload points right there. Um, it's a difficult position because – uh, you know, there's different parts to a scramble, too. There's some scrambles where guys jump over the back. And in that scramble, that's a different scramble than one where a guy passes a leg. Two totally different scenarios. Uh, when a guy's over a guy's back, that thing could end up anywhere. Whereas as a, a leg pass, it's probably either going to turn into another revolution of a pass or it's going to get throws there. I, I'm, against seeing a lot of stalemates given in that situation myself. But I know it does happen.
0: So if you could change the rules, would you be for, and I'm not trying to say because it was my idea, but something of a version of, hey, you hold a guy, if a guy is, you know, within 90 degrees or 45 degrees, whatever, for so many consecutive seconds that the other guy gets takedown and we wrestle from there?
1: You know, I think, yeah, but I think we're going to have to be careful um, I think we're going to have to be careful in defining the situations and the scrambles. Like I, you know, like I mentioned on a leg pass, those are probably either going to go another revolution or they're going to get froze. Whereas a guy that's over the back and grabbed an ankle and hanging on, uh, it's a little bit different scenario there because you have no idea where that might end up. The guy could come up through the middle. He could post up double. There's all kinds of options that might take place in there. So the one that I'm speaking about specifically is that leg pass, and it gets frozen. I wouldn't even be opposed to say, hey, we give him one pass through on one side, but if he gets frozen going back the other direction and he can't get through, it's almost an automatic, you know, takedown there because he's demonstrated that he can't go back the direction that he wants to go. Uh, but again, I think, you know, that those are things that are going to be discussed probably over the course of these next several years uh, with the new jiu-jitsu style of wrestling that, kind of taken over with leg passing and going over the top and stuff like that. It's an interesting thing because we haven't seen the likes of it. Um, and it's made wrestling exciting, but it's also made it incredibly, incredibly controversial at the same time.
0: Well, and I think, you know, I've done some jiu and coached some fighters. And what's really interesting is the jiu-jitsu guys actually don't know how to defend single and double legs with passovers. And it's funny because if, you know, when you teach them that, they're like, oh my God, I'm right where I feel comfortable. And they've got, you know toe holds and knee bars and some other things there, so yeah it
1: absolutely i've I've actually i did a worked at a club here uh, uh last summer went down and taught at a club, and you're exactly right uh they're they're like at home when they're there, but they don't traditionally use those counters um on lake shots.
0: yeah, okay, couple specific questions um wrestler A is on bottom and gets an almost reversal like a standing switch. And now he's and has wrestler B now on a standing single leg, but wrestler B is still accumulating riding time, but he's not in control. How do we solve this?
1: Oh wow, well that that's a tough one too because again it goes back to the issue of riding time. Can't release the control until something's changed there. Um, as the rules are today, you're you exactly right that. There, there would be no change in the writing time. The writing time would, would continue to tick. However, uh the argument to that is, is that at any time, the guy that was on the bottom that initiated the counter could release that and take one and walk away and feel good about it. It's kind of like, do you want curtain A that we already have seen the prize, or do we want to take the chance to go to curtain B? And don't, that's kind of how that then, right? that yeah. Will do. yeah. I don't have a good answer for that. As long as there's riding time, there's always going to be that, that kind of like double jeopardy situation that the guy's, he is basically free, but he's holding on to a leg. I will say this. I had a situation, um, earlier in the year at an open tournament where that exact scenario took place. But then the scramble ensued that the guy that was countering the, the foot up in the air, who at one point was the top man brought it back down to the mat he, he literally it turned it back into where he had a whizzer in on the mat and uh, he was forcing a, a quarter nelson pry on the guy's head and so there was no release of any points involved there because it went back down to the mat as it stood on the mat if it would have ended there uh at the end of a period or the action stopped out of bounds or something then as an official you could release that and give him one um and, and, of course, then they would go back to the middle neutral or however they start. But uh, that's that's a difficult one because it's kind of like it's it's a rule that there's really no answer to. You can't really modify that to fix that without changing writing time altogether. It's going to continue to roll.
0: Well, I think, you know, you mentioned the going out of bounds rule and how these guys have been coached up. I think one of the things that coaches have to tell the kids are, look, you know, in that scenario if if I'm the one that's got your foot in the air and you do a dive through and catch my ankles, now we're back in the funk, and the whole time you continue to accumulate riding time, if I think I'm even with you on your feet, I should probably just let it go and kill the riding time and get back to work because the double jeopardy there of you know especially if you're really good on bottom, I'd end up probably you know kicking you loose anyway. It seems like it's smarter just to let that guy go and and go back and look for your takedown. So,
1: Yeah, and you you hit the nail on the head, David, and your coach is coming out. That's exactly what's going to happen is that the guy has nothing to lose now, and he is going to dive for ankles, and I've had that happen several times. Guys are diving for ankles out there because they have absolutely nothing to lose. They they know they're going to give up at least one and possibly two, so why not dive back in on ankles? Turn it into a scramble, maybe get a stalemate out of it, or else come back up on top. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that that becomes coaching strategy at that point.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, well, I'm trying to work my way up from a D to a C to a B eventually, coach. I'm <laughs> trying here. So, um, okay. My next question, but I have to set the stage so people know this. I didn't ask you this, but I'm 99% sure I'm right. You refereed Penn State, Oklahoma State this year, right? Correct. Okay which was a pretty low profile match. Not too many people were interested in it, but, you know, there was a few, right? So I want to talk to you about neutral falls. Okay. So, absolutely. and I do realize that the people that, you know, are sitting in the top row of Gallagher-Iba probably had a better view of whether or not Dean Heil was pinned or not, as opposed to you. But I just want to talk to you about general consensus on neutral falls. It seems to me like, First of all, the rule for a a fall in college is one second, correct? Yes. Okay. And there's not a different amount of time for neutral falls. It's still one second. Is that correct? Correct. It also feels like to me that nobody enforces it that way, that especially like if you're beating me by 10 points and I put you in some goofy scramble, that I better hold you there for two, three seconds. Is that right? Is that generally how the referees interpret it? And if and if so, or if not, how do you feel about all that?
1: Well, you know, there's, as you said, there's two things here. One, neutral falls or defensive falls, you know, they're different, but they're the same count. It's still a one-second count. Um, and I think that, you know, the interpretation there should not be any different. If you look at the rule book, uh, it's a fall is a fall is one second. Uh, there's a lot of things that play into it in a a defensive or a neutral fall. I I actually had one at Nationals this year, a a neutral fall. And it was one that, you know, I was in position for. I had a good view, good perspective of it. And in my head, I was able to count the 1,001. And, and, you know, your your reference to the Heil match. uh, For me personally, if you would ask me were there times where he was penned there were probably two times that he was actually bent. The problem is, is it wasn't for a full 1,001. It was a you know he would roll across his shoulder, uh, scramble, have it a half inch off, a quarter inch off, then roll across the shoulder. Um, and and I, I some guys have an, an incredible awareness with their back. I wasn't that good. I didn't have that awareness. I didn't have that kind of skill. But I do know that uh, I think officials in 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 their minds, they've got to justify a full 1,001. You know, and that, you know, in high school, it's 1,001, 1,002. It's a fairly long period of time. A lot of people are, hey, he's penned, he's penned. You hear that all the time. Right. Well, he might have been penned for 1,001 or 1,001 and a half. And, and so, uh, by rule, it's a 1,001 count, and that's it. And whether it's a defensive ball or not. Are you going to, is it, is it reasonable to make an argument Is an official going to be a little bit more hesitant and slapping the mat in that time? It is possible. I, I can't tell you that whether it is or not, but I will tell you one thing for sure. Um, you know, they've got, they've got to see it first of all. One, you've got to be in position and in that crazy match with, with, with Heil, I do remember, um, you know, we, there wasn't even a takedown given. So I'm looking for not only control. I was getting help from my assistant, which Kenny Ritchie was doing an outstanding job. I kind of deferred the takedown to him. I'm looking for the fall. And so the mechanics of that become very important. You have to be able to see it. Nobody wants to make a fall call, especially in a defensive position or uh, a scramble position, without seeing it very clearly. It's got to be there. Uh, But that's, you know, you can make the argument it's the same for an offensive fall. It's just. An offensive fall you kind of expect it because you're seeing it. A defensive or a scramble fall, uh, you know, those are, they come and they go and a guy glances across the shoulders and I think the guy's probably gonna get the benefit of the doubt there. Uh because it's gotta do, as like I said, that's getting one thousand and one.
0: Right. Yeah. Well the good news is that nobody was really watching that match, so you know, if you'd gotten it wrong, nobody would have paid attention. I can't even get that out of no. the straight face. So, anyway, um, I want to talk to you about two last individual calls that happened at nationals, and I really appreciate you being so generous with your time. I want to talk to you, and they both involve 174. The first one's a semifinal between Valencia and Hall and the headgear poll So, you know, the challenge, you know, they challenge the headgear poll and they take it away and, and all that. Do they – from a mechanic's point of view, I'm not – I, you know, I, I don't think that – first of all, let me ask. You didn't have that match, did you, Coach? No, I did not have it. Okay. So I'm not asking whether or not it was the right or wrong call, but is the referee there allowed to say, yes, he pulled the headgear but it was accidental, we're just going to wave everything off? Or if Penn State challenges that the headgear was pulled and they think it was pulled or see it was pulled – do they have to call a penalty?
1: Um, well, here's what I would tell you. Um, number one, I, I would really hesitate to make judgment on, you know, a fellow official or a call that was made in the championships that, that I wasn't involved in personally. But what I would tell you is that if, if there is a call made and, and it, it, you know, after after review or even if it wasn't reviewed, the rules are what they are. And so if, if if they go back and have an uh, opportunity to look at a call or if an official has an opportunity to look at a call and and see it clearly as it's stated in the rule, you got to follow the rules. And, and so uh, are there inadvertent headgear holes and things like that or a hand gets caught in it? Uh, absolutely. Those things happen. But inadvertent doesn't create scores. An inadvertent action can't create a score. But if something happens as a result of that, it's pretty apparent that something took place. So I think it's kind of obvious in those situations that you know where uh, by rule. And, and if and if you want to give the the referees more freedom and say, hey, we don't think it was that serious, but then you're going to open up a can of worms. I mean, <laughs> right. yeah. it's going to it's going to get real ugly. And, and officials, I'm sorry, coaches and athletes and fans, they're going to be very angry because they're going to say, well, why did it happen over here, and we didn't get the call, et cetera. I mean, we've got we've got a certain rule that we have to follow. Uh, are there things in there that, that invite a bit of gray area? Absolutely. But in most situations, I think that it's pretty clearly demonstrated whether or not it, it created a, a scoring opportunity or not. And um, so the bottom line is, in my opinion, that we've kind of got to follow the rule book. So, uh, you know, if you refer to that particular situation or any time that, that there's uh, an infraction like that and nobody likes to see it, trust me, I get it. You know, if if there's a penalty in a football game and it brings back a touchdown, people are 50% of the people are going to be very upset about that. And I get it, but it is, it's the nature of the beast and and, and they're following the rule book and, and football, just like we have to do it in wrestling and, vice versa
0: yeah and that leads to the last question which is really you know almost circles back to the first question that we originally talked about but the the 74 pound uh no call takedown with uh jordan and hall so ohio state challenges that that's a takedown okay to me it looked like he got a takedown and hall got a reversal I just want to make sure I understand whether or not anybody thinks it was a takedown or not. The two calls the referee can make there are no takedown for Jordan and just two for Hall, or, hey, we're going to turn the call over. It is two for Hall, and now we stop it and restart in referee's position, and Hall does not end up on top. We restart with Bo Jordan on top and Hall on bottom. Do I understand that part correctly? You, you got it. You got it. So that makes it even harder for the referee to make that call because as the action came through, you know, we all clearly saw that, you know, Hall did a great job, whether he either did a great job preventing a takedown or a great job getting a reversal, but either way, he came out of that on top. And now it's even really probably more difficult just from a human nature point of view for that referee to make that call, right?
1: Well, it makes sense to think that it does. I mean, it would it makes sense to believe that it's it's possible there that, you know, trying to look into the future. But I honestly believe in my heart that any official, any championship official would, would try to get that call right irregardless of the outcome as it's seen, you know, through the next four or five seconds in the lens of a the camera. They're gonna try to get it right from the very beginning. And in my opinion, and, and again I haven't looked at it very carefully, I just remember seeing it, you know, you know, from the from the room that we were exposed to that we were watching the matches as officials and again I really hesitate commenting on any one situation or an official uh that that called a match but in my opinion unless there's clear evidence when you go back to watch it that you see something different than what you saw at the time you made the call you're not going to overturn that and I don't know I, I wasn't privileged to the video I didn't see it uh but I do know that you know, Angel, of course, had that match and is one hell of an official, one of the best out there. And when he made that call, it was a tough one. But then again, you know, I don't think he's going to base his uh, his his decision on how it played out three seconds later. I think he's going to look at the, the takedown, and in his mind, it, it was either there or it wasn't there. Um, and I think a lot of people would probably say, hey, you know, as a result of the outcome, it was obviously not a takedown. You're going to get other people to say, well, it was there, and uh, ultimately it changed the action. So, you know, Angel's not likely to make the change of the call. I don't I don't believe that for a second. I think the truth of the matter is he, he weighed the merits of the takedown as it showed up on the video at that particular time, and he saw it the same way that he saw it when he was out there. So I, I think it's a very difficult thing. Uh, you know, officials have talked about this, and, and I know the, the Rules Committee have probably talked about it, too, that whole idea of of uh, if a call is made, you know, everything from there after a the call is changed, then that action is wiped out. We have to go back to that point and start all over again. Uh, it would be nice if we had that crystal ball to say, <laughs> you know, we know that we could go a two and a two here or, or a one and a two here or a two and a one there. But we don't have that ability that, you know, all action is erased from that point forward. Is it something that the committee may revisit? That's that's a possibility. But again, you know, it's those kind of things come to light in in big matches because you got two guys that are of great skill. You got great coaching out there. uh, It's the best of the best. And it was a bang, bang call, uh, just like many that were in the championship rounds. Right. And, you know, I think that. It's, it's interesting that you can have three or four camera angles and still have a discussion about was it there or not. And we're not talking about just the average fan. We're talking about, you know, great coaches, great officials. Everybody's looking at that going, wow, that's tough. <laughs> and you can slow it down. And is that fair to look at it in slow motion? I'm, I'm telling you, it's just our sport, uh, you know, and I know you appreciate, you know, what, what goes on out there in these high level matches, but there, there is some horsepower, there is some great wrestling, uh, the scrambling has definitely changed, uh, there's some calls that we were never forced to look at in the past, and uh, we're seeing those come up in today's wrestling in the last two or three years, but um, it, we're in an evolution, you know, as, as we move forward. Uh, the good news is, is this past year, we had no rules changes. This next year, I think we'll probably have a rule change or two, but I think we're we're putting a lot of people in the stands. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of media outlets, you know, with what you're doing, David, and, and having guests on your show that can, can talk up the sport. You, we also have, you know, Flow Wrestling. We've got this and that and everything else with video everywhere. So everybody becomes an analyst and everybody becomes a coach. So um, And everybody's an official. So we, we have a lot of help now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think you know I talked to John Smith at Big 12s, and he said how the wrestling is better and better, and the athletes are better and better. And anyone's really qualified to say that is probably him. And and when that happens, the calls are so quick, and you know, you know, I don't I don't get to be biased anymore, and and you haven't been allowed to be biased for a long time because I mean I've had you know I've watched you referee kids in college that you coached in high school and you know, things like that. So I know you just, you know, you got to be Switzerland and just call it right down the middle. So, you know, I really appreciate it coach. Cause it's probably the best time of the year to have you on like right after nationals. I mean, people are still talking about calls and talking about matches and for a guy that's done it, I think this is what your 15th straight year of doing the D ones. You know, that's, it's a big deal to have you on. I really appreciate it. You, you know, you coached, I got to wrestle, guys that you coached i got to coach guys that you coached and you know so we have a lot of history and for people that don't know you're being inducted into the national wrestling hall of fame this summer in stillwater correct uh, that's correct yeah Dave, thanks much congratulations and well deserved coach i really appreciate your time
1: i appreciate you david thanks a lot buddy
0: all right folks that was matt chat with david Marikatani. big thanks to mike Haggerty. talk to you all next week